Hey, good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Yeah, good to see you guys. I don't have a lot of time today, so I'm just going to say go Ducks. Come on. That was gutsy, and I uh, love to see it. I uh, love to see us beat Utah. We had to pay them back for last year. You know, in the kingdom of God, it's all about forgiveness. In college football, it's all about revenge. Come on. Different kingdoms. Got to know your kingdom. We're starting a brand new series today called Legacy, and I am incredibly excited. I've uh, been excited about this series for six months to a year when the Lord kind of put this in our heart. Bethany and I were uh, planning the sermon series out and uh, just really excited about this. We're going to jump into that today. But before we do that, I want to talk about something we do every year. I think we actually skipped it last year, uh, but we, we believe in this and we want to do it every year. It's called Legacy Offering. And if uh, Rachel, if you put that slide up there. Uh, This is something that we do just to reflect the value that we have as a church and as individual families in the church of generosity, that out of the abundance of what God has put in us and blessed us with financially and in all other ways, that we can, one of our acts of worship and service as Christians is to live this life of generosity. And so legacy offering is something that we give to once a year, completely free will. This is above and beyond tithes and offerings. So this is like Uh, This isn't replace your normal giving. Uh, This is something that you're just asking the Lord, would you talk to me and my my spouse about what what you'd have us give? Um, There's no offering that's going to be taken up today. What I'm I'm asking us to do is simply to take five to 15 minutes to sit down, have a cup of coffee with Jesus, and uh, ask him what he would have you give. Uh, and, And if it's $5, praise God. If it's $5 million, praise God. Uh, this is not going to our general budget items as a church. This, these are going to special legacy projects. So I'll talk about how we do this. First, if you put that verse up, this is what we believe. Proverbs eleven twenty five says, The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And I can tell you, Bethany and I, in our life, we have never, ever been able to outgive God. Whatever refreshing we've done to bless others, to bless the kingdom of God, to give to the poor, whatever we've done, God has abundantly blessed us in all ways, shapes, and and form. Now, I don't believe God is like a vending machine where you put a quarter in and he gives you 50 cents. Uh, That's not how it works. What God opens up for us is a life of generosity that tends to break you loose in other areas. And, And so there's financial blessing, yes, but there's all kinds of things that God does. And we have seen this in our life. I know many of you have that when we are a blessing to others and we're generous and refresh others, God pays us back. He, he brings that blessing in our life. How many of you have experienced that? Six people. That's so cool. It's awesome. Well, <laughs> this is your moment to experience it for yourself. Uh, so with the, with the legacy offering, we break this into two kind of uh, wings. The first side of it is local legacy. The second side is global legacy. So on the first side of this with local legacy, here are some of the projects that this fund, this free will offering this year will go into. So you can see their playground. This isn't just any random playground. This is the playground that will live in the middle of the church building over there to be a place for people to come during the the week. How many of you parents are like, yeah? Because I don't know if you've noticed, it rains a little bit here. And uh, we want to create something that's a blessing for our children here at Joy Church, but also as a community outreach and a way to serve foster care ministries and different things. So there's a lot of things that will go into this. So some of this legacy offering will go to that. The second thing is the Eugene Mission. We partner with the Eugene Mission financially and through volunteering. And it's a wonderful uh, uh, operation, organization, and ministry here in town. We have an issue with homelessness in our uh, community and around the state of Oregon. And the cry of my heart has not been, Lord, let the government fix it. Let 
some rich donor come in. I believe that we, as the hands and feet of Jesus, are called to be an answer to prayer and to partner with organizations like Eugene Mission to be an answer for this, uh, this thing that's going on in our, our society. So that's part of where our funds will go to. Debt retirement. How many of you know we don't want debt uh, in, on the job? We want debt retired. Get it out of here. So this beautiful building that we're in that we call home, uh, unfortunately, was not given to us for free. And we did ask, just in case anyone's wondering. <laughs> yeah, we did. Uh, I called this really, really rich, like, Quinta millionaire, whatever he was, I don't know, he's just mega rich guy in England. And I was like, hey, we want to give us a million dollars. And he was like, no. So anyways, um, we, we, through the generosity of, of all of us here together as a church family, uh, we got ourselves into this building, but there is some debt and we want to pay that off. I'm asking you to pray with me and believe that as a church family, we'll get that debt paid off in the next three to five years. Amen. So some of that local legacy will go to that. Uh, Shasta, Shasta Middle School and CityServe through Project Hope is a, is a big thing that we're involved with. We've adopted Shasta Middle School. And every August we go out there as a church. I think usually 80 to 100 of us go out. And I'd love for you to come be a part of that this year. We, we do a bunch of beautification projects there at the school. We bring bark mulch in. We paint. We fix stuff. I, I take photos because I'm not good at that stuff. So they're like, put a rake in Pastor Jake's hand and let him just smile for the photos. No, I, I go to serve, but I just am not put in a dangerous situation for, for me to hurt the school. You know, we want to love them. It's okay. You can laugh. I know it, you're thinking he's not really that pathetic in this area, is he? I am. I am, but we all have our gifts. So we go there. We, we uh, serve the school. We do um, Thanksgiving boxes for families in need at Shasta Middle School, and we've embraced them because we believe in serving our community, again, as the hands and feet of Jesus. So that's another area where our legacy offering goes into. Dove Medical is a pregnancy crisis center that we support here in town. And it's a beautiful ministry. It's incredible. I'm proud of us to serve them and serve the cause of life in Jesus' name. Uh, Cottages of Hope is a new thing. Many of the guys in our church that are not like me, that actually have useful skills, were going up to Blue River and building sheds called Sheds of Hope to help people that had lost their homes. Raise your hand if you've been part of that. Some of the guys in here. Nope. Okay. Well, they do go to church here because I remember, <laughs> but <laughs> making me look bad. They all go to first service. That's because they're those early birds, right? But um, Cottages of Hope is a new project being spearheaded by a local pastor to build uh, housing for homeless people, uh, but it's not just to give them a nice warm place to live and get off the streets, which that is very necessary. But as you know, homelessness as a, as a problem in our in our city is not just because someone doesn't have a place to live or that there aren't enough services, because believe me, there are plenty of services. What is needed is to actually get into the mud with somebody and help them get off the street, but also begin to build the skills to begin to support themselves, to help them in the area of mental health, to help them in the area of dealing with some of the underlying causes of why they potentially are on the streets. And so Cottages of Hope is a place to uh, they're building literally cottages to help house people, but also the support systems in order to elevate their living condition. So in all ways, really, really cool. So these are just a couple of the areas for our local legacy. This is where this offering is going to get invested and go to. The, the, the next wing is our global legacy because we believe as a church that it's not just we give uh, in our local community and we serve, but we also want to embrace the, the missions movement around the world, to see the gospel spread all over the, the globe. So just a couple of the areas, and these aren't even all the areas that we give to, but just to give you a heads up, and I'll fill in some of the details on this in weeks to come. We have a partner church in uh, Oradia, 
Romania. And uh, how many of you were here when Pastor Ted Chichui came and spoke a couple years ago? He sounds exactly like Gru from uh, Despicable Me. <laughs> I want to thank you very much for partnering with the gospel in Romania. You know, you're like, are you a vampire? Maybe. So anyways, we're 80% sure he's not a vampire. But he's a dear friend of mine, wonderful man of God. They're pastoring a church in Romania. And uh, through the, the war in Ukraine, uh, Romania is right there on the border. They've had refugees coming through. And part of the conflict has uh, caused the energy costs to go up dramatically, like 1,000%, 1,500%. You think we're taking pain at the pump? Believe me, way worse over there. So Pastor Ted reached out and said, hey, Jake, we have an opportunity to get um, these solar panels uh, installed on our roof that will lower our energy bill by $500 to $1,000 a month. So we as a church, our elders, we got an elders meeting together and said, hey, um, could, could God be speaking to us to do this? And as an eldership team, we said yes. So we paid for those uh, uh, solar panels. And I'll show you guys pictures of that next week. Cool? So we're yeah, built on that church there, helping them. Very cool. Uh, La Paz is our church down in, in, in uh, Baja, California. Joy Church La Paz. We serve them. It's an incredible ripe harvest field for the gospel with the Jaquis in Puebla, Mexico. We're supporting their church. New Life Fellowship in Cambodia is a nation-changing hub for all the NGOs, but also just an incredible gospel-centered outreach place. And every dollar that we give there is money well spent to see people come to Christ. There's revival happening there. Liberia in Monrovia, uh, we support the church there. Uh, wonderful, beautiful church. Pastor John and Lee Gallinger that go here at Joy. Are you guys in the room? Wave at me if they're here. There they are. There's Lee. Hi, Lee. They planted that church. And, and it's an apostolic, beautiful church there in Liberia. Incredible ministry. Mike Silva Ministries going all over um, Spanish and Portuguese-speaking countries in the world. We support Mike. Tremendous gospel proclamation. Surge Project is one you, you might not have heard of, but I think it's $3,000 uh, Surge Project can take $3,000 and they can take a whole year and they train up a local pastor in the third world. They equip them, they pay uh, their salary, they help their family, and they plant a church. And so we as a church, I think we've planted six or eight churches. I don't know if the, do you know the number? It's six or eight. And I get emails from Surge Project and it'll be an email in whatever the language is. A lot of times it's Spanish. We've planted a few churches in Cuba. And I'm, when I say we, I mean us together as a church. So we gave that money and these pastors uh, planted the church, and they'll say, we started with 20, you know, now we have 50, now we have 100. I think one of the churches that we planted last year, I got an email that said there are 150 people uh, in Cuba, I believe this one was. Some of them are in the Philippines as well. So just absolutely incredible. Um, how many of you are excited to hear about this stuff? It's cool. Yeah, really cool. And then this year, we're, we also uh, helped plant Joy Church Wheaton. So my good friend Josh and Coco, they were up here a few months ago. They spoke for us. Um, we interviewed them. They uh, sold their house in Medford, responded to the call of, of, of God to go to out, uh, Wheaton, which is outside of Chicago, Illinois. Illinois. How do you say it? Illinois or Illinois? Illinois. Okay, thanks. Illinois. <laughs> is where you live nice? No, it's Illinois. Okay. So... I like myself. I don't know if you do, but (laughs) Joy Church Wheaton, we're supporting them. And uh, I think it's so awesome to support them because Josh and Coco believe that when Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, the Lord spoke to them, that city. And so they went there. 
And it's just a total act of faith, and God is using it to, to see transformation there. And uh, I hope you're squirming in your seat a little bit, like, I hope God doesn't call me to go somewhere. No, he definitely is. At least he's calling you to walk across the street and share the gospel. At least he's calling you to go to Shasta and serve and be the hands and feet of Jesus. At least he's calling you to have a joy group. But I know God is raising us up to be a church of disciples, making disciples, making an impact. Amen? So that's legacy offering. Uh, Again, we're not doing an offering today. Uh, We're giving a season of this. So from now until December 11th, December 11th kind of being the official legacy offering day. But what I want you to do is I don't want you to give. You're like... Why would you take up this offering if you don't want us to give? Because that's not the first step. What's the first step? Pray. Because this is a free will offering. And so, again, the, the amount of money, if we, get, if we as a church gave $10 million to this leg, legacy offering and we were like, oh, man, we, hey, Eugene Mission, we want to pay for your entire operation this year. Like, that's great, right? Um, there's, no, there's no max to it. There's no minimum to this. It's a free will thing. The key is that in faith we're responding and generosity to say, Jesus, what would you have me give? And we're celebrating the ability to give out of the abundance that God's put in our life. So Bethany and I will take time and we'll pray um, and say, Lord, what do you want us to give to this? And it's a totally free will offering. Once you feel like the Lord has given you a, a number to give, you can go to joyeugene.com give. And in the drop down menu, it says legacy fund or legacy offering. Or you can write it in the memo of a check, or you can tie it to a pigeon's toe and fly it to our pigeon receptacle. I think we got that installed on the roof, but uh, anyways, you can do it that way. So awesome. Well, let's jump into our message today. You ready? So I want to invite you to do something. I got to get my mouth back together. That was a lot of words for that legacy offering. Uh, I want you to put on your spiritual bib because we're going to sit down and and have a feast of God's word and truth this morning. Amen. Uh, I believe today, if you leave in, if you leave discouraged or you leave like not understanding how rich God's heart is towards you, then you missed something really important because, man, I preached this message, you know, just about an hour ago at first service and I was rocked by it Uh, because this isn't me talking to you. We're going to be going through a lot of scripture today. This is God's heart for you and the legacy that he wants to place inside of you. So as we talk about legacy, this is something hugely important to me. Legacy is this, something passed from one generation to another. And as we were preparing for this study, the Lord put a very specific phrase in my heart about legacy, and it's this right here. You can't leave a legacy unless you live for legacy. You're never going to be in a place where somewhere in the future you leave a legacy, whether that's financial, spiritual, uh, philosophic, whatever it may be, to your children or your spiritual children or even just the people around you, your friends, family, and neighbors, to your culture, to your place of impact. You have, to, you have to start living for that legacy today, right? So if I want to leave my children an inheritance of finances 50 years from now, maybe I hope I get more years than that. I'm going to go 70 years from now. I'm definitely hitting 100. With my eating habits, definitely. Because I don't eat really bad, but I also don't eat really good. I'm trying to find that happy medium, you know? Some Fritos. Okay, anyways. In 70 years, when I go to be with Jesus... Uh, I, I want to be able to leave my kids a financial legacy. What I understand is that I've got to begin to invest and make decisions thinking about them, thinking about that time, but I have to do that today. 
And so, so it is with my spiritual legacy. If I'm going to leave my children a legacy of faith, if I'm going to invite them into the story of what God is doing in the Schmelzer family, not just the Schmelzer family now, but my kids and their kids and their kids, then I have to begin to change how I operate and think and live today and begin to be a person of legacy, understanding I won't see the fruition of that even in my own lifetime. And you say, Pastor Jake, why is this so important? Well, this is how God thinks. See, in the Old Testament, God was introduced always this way. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why is God introduced that way? Because God is a generational God. His story and his faithfulness and who he is can't be contained even in one person's lifetime. Abraham was like the the beginning of the story. Isaac continued, Jacob continued, and then Jacob's 12 sons become the tribes of Israel, and then the story of Israel culminating in Jesus Christ, redeeming and rescuing man. This is a story unfolding over thousands of years. Why? Because God is a God of generations. And you're never really going to understand God's heart, and you're never going to understand your place in God's story until you recognize that we are playing a part in a generational story that is unfolding. What would it look like if we embraced this way of thinking? What would it look like if we began to make decisions and we began to think with generations in mind? That we began to think about how the decision we make with our money and the decision we make in our spiritual life affects our great, great, great grandkids. And we think a hundred years, a thousand years. Now, this is so contrary to the way that our culture thinks because we're the microwave culture, right? I mean, even if you look into the political world right now, which I encourage you not to, but if you do, what you find is everybody wants a solution right now. We want everything fixed right away. And problems that have taken generations to create or decades to create aren't necessarily going to get fixed overnight. But with, with this microwave mentality, what it often gives us is shallow thinking and just sort of like on the surface solutions rather than foundational change and transformation. And I believe that it should be known of Christians that they think generationally, that they're comfortable with this idea that the things I do today in faith might never, be, might never come to fruition until future generations come. That we make decisions with generations in mind. Bethany and I on our honeymoon, we went to the UK and we went to a place called York. And in the city of York in northern England, there's a cathedral. It's called York Minster. Has anyone been to York Minster? It's absolutely beautiful. I really, really wanted to go to church there, and it was one of the worst services I've ever been at. Uh, The rector or priest or whatever his name was, he was talking about climate change, and I was like, this isn't the gospel. Maybe, we, yeah, sure, we love dolphins, but tell me about Jesus. Come on. So anyways, uh, it was one of the worst services. Singing was absolutely beautiful, and the church was beautiful, the the inside. And what what really moved me, though, uh, beyond the, um, the message that I heard and rejected was was the fact that the, the building, York Minster, took somewhere as upward of 300 years from start to finish, and they are continuing to work on it. And it just caused me to think, who's this, this man, this yeoman, you know what I mean? Little York yeoman, and he starts his career as a stonemason, and he works on a little part of the nave. You know, he's, maybe he's carving a gargoyle, and then he lives his entire life, and then he dies, and then his son Uh, comes of age and takes up his father's craft and he works for 80 years and then he dies and then his son and then his son and not one of these people either saw the beginning or saw the end and yet these 
the, the cathedral builders had this idea of legacy and of generational thinking, and they realized that God's story transcends even our lifetimes. And we want to do something for the glory of God, literally giving our entire life to something that we would never see the completion of. And I think to myself, that is how a Christian ought to think. That when I pray, I don't just pray for me today and my, my needs and, oh, Lord, help me win the lottery. Powerball, please just download the numbers, Holy Spirit, into my mind. And then the Holy Spirit says, don't play the lottery for investment purposes. Okay. <laughs> think about my needs today. No, when I pray, I want to begin to say, God, would you make me the foundation, the patriarch of generations of faithfulness to you? of generations of your light shining through human beings in a broken, fallen world so that we could be part of the solution, not just the problem. Because whether I get the parking spot or my food is perfectly blessed is probably not the prayer that really matters. The prayer, you see what I'm saying? The prayer that really matters is the prayer that influences generations. And so we're talking about legacy over the next couple of weeks, and I, and I think it's going to rock our world. Today, though, I want to start with receiving the legacy that we have in Christ. Because I think that if, if you don't understand who you are, what God has for you, what he's done, and the inheritance that he has for us in Christ, we, we're never going to be able to really choose legacy thinking until we, we really grasp this. So, number one, it starts with understanding your legacy. Did you know that you are a child of Abraham and a co-heir with Christ Jesus? And maybe that doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but let me give you some backdrop through the scripture of why this is so meaningful. The Apostle Paul had, I think he planted this church, I'm not sure exactly, but there was a church that he was uh, an apostle to in a place called Galatia in Greece. And Galatia was a Gentile city, it was a Greek city, and these uh, new Christians had really fallen in love with the Lord, given their lives to Jesus, were serving him, and that this kind of a, a aberrant teaching had come in that said, you have to keep the law, you have to be circumcised and all this kind of stuff. And uh, Paul, in his letter to the church in Galatia called Galatians, he, he comes against that, and what he does instead is he really establishes what their real legacy is. And he says in Galatians chapter 3, I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and counted him, God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Listen to this. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What Paul is saying here is it's not your Jewishness. It's not your, uh, your bloodline that you're a Jew and now you're a child of Abraham because that's what the children of Abraham were and are called is the, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. And that's what these Gentiles were being told. You have to become Jewish in order to be Christian. Paul says that's not what it is. In fact, even the progenitor, the main guy, the patriarch, Abraham, it was his faith that established his paternity. It was his faith that placed him into this state of rightness with God. And that is the same for you guys. The real children of Abraham are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Now here's what's happening here. This is something I want you to catch. God is tying in these Christians who are not Jews. They're Greeks. They're Gentiles, like probably most of us, people that enjoy shrimp. Come on, somebody, right? <laughs> Hallelujah, bacon. Okay, so 
Paul is saying, look, God has grafted you and God has brought you and he's woven you into this story. You are now the inheritor. You are now a part of a legacy that was not yours, but it now is because of Christ. And you are true children of Abraham. And you're going to get the same blessing. Well, what is the blessing of Abraham? Well, back in Genesis 12, when God called Abram, he said, Abram, I'm going to change your name to Abraham. You're going to be called father of nations. And through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And this word blessed doesn't just mean that, you know, you you win the lottery or whatever. What it means is that you have the relational favor of the blessor. So God's saying, Abraham, I'm going to be with you. And it's kind of like saying this. It's not what you know, it's who you know, right? Like when between Tom Brady and I, we've won a lot of Super Bowls. (laughs) It's a true statement. People always think about that and they're like, no, uh, oh, crap, dang it, he's right. Yeah. Between... Uh, Aaron Rodgers and I, we've thrown a lot of touchdown passes. Justin Herbert and I have a Rose Bowl victory together. And so do you as all Duck fans, as heirs, co-heirs, right? With <laughs> the point is this. When you're connected relationally with somebody, you are partaker of their glory, partaker of their prize. And so with Abram, God is saying, Abram, I'm going to have a relationship with you. I'm going to be with you. You're going to have access to me. And through you, everybody's going to have access to me. And Paul is now reminding these Christians and also us, we are brought into this same story, brought into this same legacy. He goes on, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Come on, how do you know the devil's speaking to you when it's trying to divide you based on what's your pronoun, what's your race, what's your political affiliation, what's that? And he wants to put us into little categories where we hate each other. And what God wants to do is bring us together under the banner of Christ's love and redemption and salvation. I want to preach about that, but that's not what I'm talking about today. You're one in Christ Jesus. You're one. And he says, and now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. This is big. Romans chapter 8, Paul says it a different way. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Come on, we're adopted into the family of God. You're a son or a daughter of God. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We'll talk about that more in a second. But we are brought into full family of God. And this is an incredible thing to find out that you are an heir with Christ. That you, all of God's fortune, all of God's blessing, his, his blessing, to, his legacy for you is better than finding out you're a Vanderbilt. Or that Jeff Bezos is your uncle or whatever. How many of you ever thought as a kid, man, I wonder if my parents are my real parents. I wonder if I'm really like the, the, the rightful king of England. Or, you know, did you ever think anything like that? Some people are like, I wonder if they're my kids, you know. So it's a different thing, but different legacy. Anyways, sometimes as a kid, and I had a great family. I was just kind of a fantastically minded child. I'd think like, I wonder if I'll find out that I'm really like the the king of England. And then as an adult, I've realized, no, nah, I'm actually happy to have a more diverse gene pool. So it's all good. Um, <laughs> just some of you need to unpack that later. But anyways, this idea that you would find out, like, I am the heir of this incredible fortune. 
I looked up a couple of stories about this. There was this man, let me just tell you his story really quick, in uh, Moldova. His name is Sergei Sudev. And he was left a 950 million euro fortune by an uncle that he had not seen for 10 years. So Sergei one day answers his door and these people come to his door and they're like, hey, remember your uncle so-and-so? And he's like, uh, kind of. And they're like, yeah, he just made you, I think, one of the richest people in this entire country. And the guy was like, ah, you're joking. Nope. Almost a billion euros was given to him. That's a good Thursday. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's why I still, how many of you, like, I think this is a millennial thing. Do you feel like personally offended when someone knocks on your door? <laughs> you know what I mean? Dude, dude, who is it? What do they want? You know, ring camera. What do you want? Right? For me, it's always Jehovah's Witnesses. It's never $950 million. So Sergey was the inheritor of this incredible prize. And yet I would say that we are more fortunate as heirs, co-heirs with Christ than Sergey. There was another man in uh, Bolivia, and he was a homeless man. He struggled with drug addiction and uh, had a pretty rough life. And uh, the police one day came up to him, and they were trying to talk to him. And he thought they were trying to arrest him, and so he fled and hid. Uh, what they actually were trying to tell him was that his ex-wife had left him $6 million, but they couldn't find him, and they never could find him. He ran away from his inheritance. <laughs> What's that? He said, it's me. There he is. It's me. <laughs> hey, you'll be happy to know we've already put that money in the legacy fund. You know, it's... Um... <laughs> it's like a... To me, that's such a, such a sad story because it's a picture of, of what God wants to do in us, and yet oftentimes we run in fear. Better than being a Vanderbilt, better than being a Bezos, better than being this recipient of some financial fortune, we are co-heirs with Christ. You are the inheritor. You are the heir of, of God, and that's an incredible thing. Number two, we need to receive that legacy. And I think we talked about understanding that we are uh, the legacy recipients, but what does that look like? What is it that we receive? Paul does a masterful job talking about this in Ephesians chapter one. And this is where if you didn't put your bib on, put your bib on because God is going to speak to you through his word. We're going to eat like the full buffet of goodness here of what God speaks to us. In Ephesians chapter one, Paul says, even before he made the world, God loved us. Just chew on that for a second. Before the Grand Canyon and before the state of Oregon was created in Crater Lake and before the stars, there was God's love for you and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing himself, us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his, to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Let me tell you about your legacy. Number one, you are loved. You are chosen. And you are without fault in his eyes. You see, I don't want you to agree with this mentally. I don't want you to intellectually assent to this statement. I want you to believe it. I want you to know it. I want it to sink from your head into your heart and begin to transform your identity. That you would understand that God himself loved you. Before he made the world, he loved you. He chose you. You're not an accident. You're not a 
biological happenstance, and you're not an accident of some philosophical, you know, just by accident I kind of am here hearing this message. God himself chose you. Uh, Even before the world, his love is for you. He chose you, and when he looks at you, you're without fault in his eyes. And I know that our hearts cry out because we, we, afflicted by sin and afflicted by this, the reality of the gospel is almost too scandalous to believe. Well, how could you say I'm without fault? Because I know what I did. And Pastor Jake, how could you say that God loves me? You don't know what I've done. I don't. What I know is that God spoke this in his word and it's true. Do you think that maybe it would be better if we lived out of truth rather than just how things feel and how we feel moment by moment? And I'm just telling you right now that if you will accept this and you will let this seep into the crevices of your heart, it changes you from the inside out that you are loved, you are chosen, you are without fault in his eyes. You know, I think about my love for my children, Evelyn, Jack, and Penelope. Yesterday, Evie was off reading a book or something, but Jack and Penny were sitting on the couch and I began to grab Jack's head and I said, I'm going to give you a thousand kisses. And I began to kiss my son's head and I began to hug him and you know, just, just love on him. And he's, you know, no, don't stop it, dad. He doesn't want me to stop. Uh, and I'm, and I'm kissing him. I'm going to give you a thousand kisses. And he's like, no, no, you know, but he keeps coming back for more. You know what I mean? And my son is not perfect, but he's without fault in my eyes. My daughters are beautiful. They're not perfect. They're without fault. I've chosen them. I love them. And when they have a bad day, I don't love them less. And yet we think if an earthly father who's sinful, could love their kids like that. I just want to tell you right now, my love for my kids is a drop of spit in the ocean for God's love for you. And right now, by the Holy Spirit, I can tell you, he's putting his arms around you and says, I want to give you a thousand kisses because I love you and I've chosen you and you're without fault in his eyes. And if somebody believes that today, your life's changed forever. And Paul goes on. That's just one. That's just number one. You are adopted into God's family and he takes pleasure in you. When God signed the adoption papers for you, he wasn't like, oh, here's another one. He signed the adoption papers and couldn't wait to embrace you. Jesus was trying to tell us how the father actually sees us when he tells the story of the prodigal son. It's not about the prodigal son. It's about the father. It's not about the older brother working hard in the house. It's about the father and his love, the heart of God and how he looks at you and how he thinks about you. And when he adopted you into his family, he was, yes! He took great pleasure in it. You're not accepted by God grudgingly. He's excited about it. Number three, you have glorious grace poured on you. I love, uh, like, don't take my man card, but I love, like, face lotions and um, (laughs) aftershave balms and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And this morning, I I have this aftershave balm. It's called Mountain Man. It smells so good. It has notes of bergamot and lavender and, you know, all these wonderful things. Again, don't take my man card. And, uh, man, I got that in my hands. You know, if you know how to use this kind of stuff, you rub it in, you hold it out, let it air out a little bit. (laughs) Rub it in. And I just, and I think about God's glorious grace. He's pouring that out on you every day. Like, get it all over you. Get sticky and just be like, woo, I've got grace. Pour it out on me. Some of you are never going to think about grace the same again. (laughs) But God's grace poured out on us. Your freedom was purchased and your sins are forgiven. When the voice of the enemy comes to accuse you and say, no, you're you're just always going to be an addict. You're just always going to struggle with this sin. You say, no, I was set free by the blood of Jesus. 
How can any accusation and, and, and mark of shame live on my life when the blood of Jesus Christ was poured out for my sins? There is no chain of hell that can stand against the freedom that Christ purchased for us. And this is your legacy. This is our inheritance. And our sins are forgiven. When's the last time you just took the word forgiveness and brought it into your mind and let it sink down into your heart and thought about the fact that the scripture says that your sins, though they were scarlet, you made them white as snow. That he will take your sins and he throws them into the sea of forgetfulness. That your sins uh, are, are as far away from you as the east is from the west. That is to say an infinite, never-ending distance. Do we understand that our inheritance and our legacy in Christ is to be forgiven, truly, utterly forgiven? Man, pride can't live under, the, the shadow of pride cannot abide the light of forgiveness. The shadow of ego, the shadow of, of self-help, kind of this icky thing we do in our culture, trying to make ourselves better and yet not deal with the root of our problems. You know who deals with the root of our problems? Jesus Christ when his blood was shed for the real sins that brought real death in our life, but now his real blood brings real freedom and real forgiveness, and we get to live free in Jesus' name. You are showered with kindness, wisdom, and understanding. God's whole heart and his treasury is for you. I like to think about it this way, that God has a library that only a few people have that key to, and I get to go in and open it up, and there's definitely tobacco pipe smoke in there. I don't smoke, but I've heard it's nice. And so I go in there, I'm like my idols, you know, C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton, the old dead British guys that I like, they smoked pipes. So God's library smells like tobacco pipe. And there's a big giant wingback leather chair in there and a big hearth and there's books all over and there's that really cool ladder that goes around. Come on, somebody. And there's a roaring fire and I'm looking out at my English countryside estate and that's God's library. And I get to go in there and anytime I need to open a book and get wisdom and understanding He's there, and I get to read and, and understand him. And you think like, well, you're just making this sound good, preacher. You're just making it sound like all fancy. No, no, I can't make it sound good enough. Because of what God actually has done for us and through us and in us is so powerful. But not only that, I'm not done. You thought we were done. I said it's a feast. You are near to God. Ephesians chapter 2 said, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But pastor, I feel far from God. That's a feeling. It's not fact. The fact is in this verse. The fact is that you were brought near. So though you may feel far from God, and though you may feel like you've let him down, and though you may feel like a disappointment, when you're in Christ, he came near. He brought you near. You are secure in God's love. Romans 8, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor future, nor powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. His love has wrapped you in his embrace and he won't let you go. Nothing can take you from his hands. You are invited into his presence whenever you need him. Hebrews 4, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God to find mercy, find grace to help us when we need it most. You are called and commissioned. You're given a place at the family table and you're given a place in the family business. <laughs> On Thursday, I'll go down to Medford and we'll sit, well, first... Before Thursday, what I'm actually excited about, turkey, eh, that's okay. Tuesday night, my mom has a giant pot. I've already have the picture of it. A giant pot of bolognese, you know, bolognese sauce, meat sauce, cooking, bubbling, tomatoes. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and there's something beautiful about being at a family table. 
I would pray that at Joy Church you would find a family table to sit and realize in your imperfection and your flaws and your brokenness, we're all here together as brothers and sisters under the banner of God's love, loving each other, serving each other, helping each other. Church isn't just about attendance, it's about participation in the family, but also we have a place in the family business. And we're called and commissioned to make disciples and expand the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. Ephesians 2 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you know that every morning you're to wake up and your bones are to ache with kingdom purpose and prophetic movement? You know, when we look at our city, we don't, we're not supposed to just curse the darkness. You're supposed to be a light, a supernova, because the same spirit that, that raised Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of us. So no, you're not to be discouraged and in despair and discontented and jaded and cynical. You're to go, you know what? The power of Christ is in me. I'm his family. His blood runs through my veins. And I'm here to kick butt and take names when it comes to the kingdom of darkness. And I've already taken all the names. I thought that was going to be funnier than you thought. but <laughs> I'm here to bring heaven. I'm here to bring life. I'm here to bring reconciliation. And I, I'm, every morning there's prophetic purpose in every step I take, every word I speak, every thought I think, every prayer I pray, every song I sing. Come on. That Christian should be like, man, who's that person? They're changing the atmosphere. They're shifting the tides. Things are changing when you walk in the room. Well, yeah, because the Holy Spirit of God dwells on the inside of you and you've got purpose every day. And it doesn't have to be you preaching a sermon. It might be you going and teaching your class at school. It might be you going to the neighbor and playing cards. I don't know what it is. God's going to work through you and use you, but you have purpose. You're called and commissioned. Last but not least, we'll finish here. We need to embrace our legacy. Paul, in Romans 8, we talked about this. He said, if we're children, we're heirs. We're heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. But if, we share in his, in, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, you are the inheritor of a crown as a child of God. But one of the things that in our generation, preachers have often neglected to say is that before the crown comes a cross, before the crown of Christ's glory comes the fellowship of his sufferings to embrace your place in the family. And you see, when you're part of the real family of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, the world will hate you because it hated me also. A world that loves darkness, a world that loves lies, a world that loves its own filth and, and, and despondency and brokenness and can't see its way clear, like the man who runs from his inheritance. When you're in the family of God and you're, you're a co-heir and you're part of this legacy, that same world that rejected and hated Christ will reject and hate you when you're actually living out loud for Jesus. But every day when you embrace the cross and you die to yourself and you give up your own way and you begin to serve and lay your life down for those around you, God is going to be your fulfillment. He's your father. He's going to give you a thousand kisses on your head and he's going to keep you moving forward in your destiny. But you're going to want to run from the cross. And Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Matthew 16, Jesus told his disciples, if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Simply this, that we're called to go all in to this family. We're called to go all in to our relationship with Christ. Embrace the cross that we may attain the crown. Embrace his suffering because we want to share in his glory as full sons and daughters of what God has. 
Unamino, the Spanish philosopher, tells about a Roman aqueduct in the city of Segovia, Spain. This aqueduct was built in 109 AD, and for 1,800 years it carried the cool water from the mountains to the hot and thirsty city. Nearly 60 generations of people drank from its flow. But then another generation came, a recent generation, and they said, this aqueduct is so great a marvel that it ought to be preserved for our children as a museum piece. We shall relieve it of its centuries-long labor, and that's what they did. They put modern iron pipes. They gave the ancient bricks and mortar a reverent rest, and the aqueduct began to fall apart. The sun beating on the dry mortar caused it to crumble. The bricks and stones sagged and threatened to fall. What ages of service could not destroy, idleness disintegrated. You know, there's no retirement in the life of a follower of Jesus. You can retire from your job at General Electric or retire from your job at Symantec or wherever you work, Peace Health. But when you take on the name of Christ and you join this family, you don't give up because the water that flows through you that God uses you in your life as you serve, you give, and you, you, you hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, and you let him use you to be an, an agent of righteousness in the world around you and a conduit of heaven to earth, we never stop. We never stop. In 60 or 70 years, when you pry my cold, dead fingers off my Bible, and you pry my cold, dead fingers off preaching God's word and burning for his truth, and I hope I give my kids a financial legacy, I hope I give them a legacy of faith, but what I will not do is stop and say, oh, well, I put my time in as a servant. I put my time in as a leader. I put my time in as somebody who sacrificed for the kingdom of God. No, we keep going until the next generation comes. When you get teleported from this planet into heaven, then you get to retire. But legacy is about laying your life down and saying, his crown, my cross. I share in his suffering, I receive his glory. And that doesn't come from a place of legalism. It doesn't come from a place of duty. It comes from a place of identity. Because what we do is a byproduct of who we are. When I was a young crumb cruncher, I used to get a little bent out of shape about having to go to church all the time. You think we do church a lot? Oh, come on, somebody. You didn't grow up in the 80s and 90s in a Pentecostal church. <laughs> so just miss me with that, you know. <laughs> it's like five, six, you know, times a week going to church and I'd be complaining, like, Mom, Dad's always talking to me while in the lobby. Like, what are we doing? And she's like, hey, you don't have to go. You get to go. Because my parents wanted me to have a legacy, being raised to a higher standard. You know that people rise and fall to the level of expectation placed on them. And I would just ask you this. If God is your father and you're a son or daughter of God, what is the standard for a child of a true, of a true king? The expectation the, the, the level that God is calling us to live is a level of all in. I'm all in. I don't have to go. I get to go. I don't have to give to legacy offering. I get to give to legacy offering. I don't have to be part of a joy group. I get to be part of a joy group. I don't have to listen to another one of Pastor Jake's interminable sermons. I get to. I don't have to pray. I get to pray. I don't have to love my, my spouse sacrificially like Christ loves the church. I get to. Why? Because I know who I am. Because I am a co-heir. I am a legacy in the kingdom of God. God is my father. He's adopted me. He was glad to do it. I, I stand in his favor and I serve at the favor of my father. And I share in his glory because of who I am. When Jesus was baptized, his father spoke three words over him. This is my son who I love, whom I'm well pleased. The word of identity that God speaks over you is you are my son. You are my daughter. 
whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. Jesus was affirmed before he did anything. And out of that place of affirmation, he was able to minister and be who God raised him up to be. And you need to receive the Father's affirmation and the Father's love and the Father's mark and seal of approval and identity upon your life. Because if you don't walk in his affirmation, you're living in insecurity and presumption. But today God wants to do something powerful in your heart, speak those words over you, and embrace you and say, you are my co- you're my heir, you're my, inher- you're, my whole inheritance is for you, you're my legacy. Receive it today in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Bow your head and close your eyes, please. We're going to finish up here real quick. Uh, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Jake, I am not part of the family of God. I'm not a follower of Jesus. I have not been born again into God's family to really be able to say I'm a son or daughter. This is a moment where I want to invite you to make that decision to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Listen, Jesus forgave your sins at the cross. He gave his blood and he paid for every one of your sins. But he doesn't invite you to just receive him as Messiah. He invites you to receive him as Messiah and Lord, which means you make a decision out of your own clear-minded consciousness to say, I will serve this king. I will give him the lordship of my life. He will have my allegiance. He will have my fidelity. Does that mean you're going to be perfect? No. His grace will make up the difference, but it means you're committing yourself, committing yourself to him as Lord and Savior. And if that's you today and you want to join God's family, you are welcome God's grace is for you. He's here. Would you just raise your hand so I can see and I want to pray with you today. I'm not going to single you out. Anybody in this place, I want to put my faith and trust in Christ Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Let's pray this prayer together. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving your life for me at the cross and making a way for me to be right with God and part of his family. I give you my life, all the good, all the bad, and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Give me the grace to follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.